Dennis, you did good. You got an applause for doing the uh, celebration there. Well done. <laughs> well done. And welcome, New Hope. Good to see you all online as well as here on, on campus. I'm Ryan, lead pastor, if we haven't uh, met. And uh, this is a special week. Dennis just alluded to it. It's in the uh, video at the beginning of the service as well. But uh, this is Hidden Acres Day Camp Week. We have been praying and preparing for this for so long. Tomorrow morning, 125 kids are showing up here to learn about Jesus. There's in a few hours the Hidden Acres, which is a camp up in Dayton, about an hour north, about 25 counselors or so are coming down and setup begins this afternoon and training to get ready. And so we have a very exciting week coming up as they're going to make friends, they're going to have fun, but the most important thing is they're going to learn about Jesus who loved them, who died for them, and who is redeeming both this world as well as their lives as well. And I want to just ask and that you and I would be praying this week that this would be a week of of profound impact, that this would be a week that there would be kids that years from now, as they are adults and have their own kids, that as they share their story, they would refer back to a week at New Hope Church in Adel, Iowa in 2023, where they had a chance in a community with other friends that was safe and loving and encouraging to hear about Christ and to make a decision for him. And so we have just a tremendous opportunity. So again, I want to ask that you be praying this week. Uh, praying for these kids, praying for the counselors that are here, all the staff, the New Hope staff, everybody that's here working and serving, and just that God would do something incredible. But I don't want to just leave it for during the week. Let's pray. Would you join with me? And can we just pray right now and pray over these kids and pray over this opportunity that God's provided for us? Would you join me just for a moment here as we do that? Uh, Father, this morning, we thank you for this opportunity. And for each and every child that's showing up here tomorrow that is precious, that is love, that you are pursuing, we pray that you would prepare their hearts today, right now, for what you want to do this week. That they'll have fun and they'll laugh and there's going to be some moments that uh, they will remember and maybe be a highlight of their entire summer. But the most important thing we're praying over, Father, is that you would capture their heart. That the people who, uh, the kids that are coming here, they don't know you personally, they would make that decision for you, that first time decision to say yes and to receive you as Savior and Lord. And for those that do know you, that it'd be a week of going deeper in their relationship with you. And so, Father, we entrust it to you the whole week. We thank you that as a community, as a church family, we can be behind them and seeking you on their behalf. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for praying, and please grab your Bibles if you would. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series called Impact, which is what we were just praying over is Impact, and we're looking at Acts chapters 1 through 8 over the course of the summer, and we've had a good time waking our way through, and we're looking at the, the first church, and this first church, and how it was growing with everyday people that just became into relationship with Christ, and out of that, the Holy Spirit began to work in them and through them to make an eternal impact on the lives of other people. And as we highlight every Sunday, it isn't just a movement that happened. It isn't just that Acts is historical. It is but it's a movement that continues on. The book ends in chapter 28 of, of Acts 28, but the story continues on and we get to be a part of that. And so we want to be a church and we want to be men and women that God uses to make an eternal impact. But to do so, we need to embrace certain attributes in our life. And so as we go through each passage here over the course of the summer, we're, we're taking a look at different attributes and challenging ourselves. Are these a part of our lives? This morning we're going to look at an attribute that is challenging. It's simple, but it's hard. This morning we're going to talk about obedience. 
We're going to talk about obedience. We're going to talk about how God is calling you and I to follow him, to follow these words. If you want to be a man or woman that God uses to make an eternal impact in the life of someone else, there's no other way to do it than to pursue obedience. Look, it isn't enough just to have a Bible, to like your Bible, or even to know a lot about the Bible. It's to take your life and to bring it in submission to what it says and to align your actions, your priorities, your passions, your pursuits, your words, your attitudes, all of that underneath what God's word says. To do our best to live a life of obedience. This is what we're called to do, and this is what a person of impact does. Let me give you two examples. Don't turn there, but just look at these verses real quick as examples in Scripture that highlight this very idea. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We need to hear the word, but that's just not enough. We need to put it into action. Or how about Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This morning, we're going to be looking at this first church. And in our passage in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see this church model for us as a great example, obedience. But specifically, what they're going to do is they're going to model for us three types of obedience. And I would submit to you today, I would submit that these three types of obedience are the most difficult ways that we are called to obey. We're going to take the hard ones on head on. And my challenge for myself and for all of us this morning is that we would evaluate our lives, that you would in your life, and I'll do it in mine, how am I doing in these three areas of obedience? Because maybe there's some changes that need to be made. Maybe there's some adjustments that we need to to make starting right now today. Because, and if you have a bulletin, I hope you do with a pen, your first fill in the blank is our big idea this morning. It might be cheesy, but I hope you don't forget it. At the end of the day, the goal is to obey. At the end of the day, the goal is to obey. It isn't just to know. It isn't just to hear. It isn't just to agree. It's to live it out in your life and in my life to do our best to live a life of obedience. So what we're going to do is pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. There is a lot of Bible we're going to get through today. We're going to read through a lot of Bible, but that's okay because we love the Bible. And so we're going to take in this account of this story and highlight these three types of obedience. So let's get started. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, which by the way, really quick, is a direct answer to prayer, the prayer that this group prayed in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. They asked God for this. And then we read right here in Acts 5, 12, that they began to do these signs and wonders among the people. It continues on, it says, And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. This is the Temple Mount area. And no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick uh, into the streets and laid them, they laid them on beds. By the way, so beds here, this is what the wealthy would do. The wealthy got beds, and then it says, and mats, and this is what the poor had. So you have wealthy, you have poor, all stations of life that are coming and bringing their sick so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. Notice this, the first time we have that the impact of this church is outside the city of Jerusalem. 
their impact is splashing now out into other communities and other cities all around the area of Jerusalem, the impact of this church who is publicly displaying their faith. And it says, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's pause here. Here's our first area of obedience. Your next fill in the blank is this idea that the first believers, they modeled public obedience. They model public obedience. In this passage, we see multiple ways and multiple times that this first church wasn't tucked away in some church building and nobody ever knew what was going on. They were out in public. They were at the Temple Mount where there was lots of people. They were in places where the sick could be brought. We see here how they were, they were talking about Jesus in public. They were loving each other as a church community in public. And people were dealing with their sin and people were coming to Christ and making conversion decisions in public because this church was on full display. Jerusalem got a front row seat, a front row seat to to seeing this church on full display. The people were able to behold and see what does it look like to follow Jesus. But I want to contrast that with sometimes what can be observed as a trend today. And that is, I invite Jesus into my heart, but I don't put him on display in my life. Or I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it never actually shows up and demonstrates in public ways. I don't want to suggest to you that we're missing the mark on that if that's the case. Let me illustrate this really quick, just just by stepping out from this passage. I love, love my wife, Laura. She is incredible. Could, Could you imagine, though, what our marriage would be like if, if, Privately at home, I was kind to her and affectionate and attentive as a husband. But then we go out into public and I completely ignored her. I mean, didn't even sort of acknowledge that she was my wife. That's a bad sign for a troubled marriage. Or how about the opposite? That when we go out in public, I'm all lovey-dovey because I want everybody to see how much I love my wife. But then we get home in private and I completely ignore her. I don't spend any time with her. I don't even acknowledge that she's in the room. Again, an unhealthy marriage. See, a marriage relationship, like most of our relationships, all of our relationships, it has a public and a private component. And in a marriage relationship, there should be displayed love in both settings. That that respect is there, that kindness is there. Again, attention and affection and all of that. That is there in both public and in private ways. But see, this is sometimes what we do with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord should be consistent privately and publicly. And not just one or the other. Because see, what happens sometimes is that we're a person where, where maybe uh, uh, publicly we're very much, you know, boisterous about our relationship with God, but privately we're completely detached Or the opposite could be the taste where we are privately engaged and we spend time with Jesus in in prayer and in the word and that's good, but we go out in public and we don't even acknowledge that we walk with Jesus. We put our light under a bushel, if you will, because we don't want anybody to know. Because what would happen? What would happen if somebody knew I love Jesus? Would they make fun of me? Would it cost me? Would there be something that happens? And we sort of live in this fear position But again, I want to just encourage us that it needs to be both. When it comes to the Lord, we need to pursue our private relationship with him and our public relationship with him. This first church, they were public, weren't they? 
They were willing to, to show people what it looked like to follow Christ. And a watching world desperately needs to see it. So let me ask you this morning, how is your relationship with God in terms of especially the public side? Are you willing to show and to tell? You remember show and tell from elementary school age? Are you willing to show and tell about the one who completely changed your life? Are you willing to be a visual display of Scripture before the eyes of people who desperately need to know what this book says? As they say sometimes, your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. Is there any content on the pages? What are they seeing? Pursue a public and a private obedience. A public and a private love for God. And so that's the first thing we see. We see that these first believers, they were willing to be public with their faith. That's number one. Here's number two, another area of of obedience that we see here with this first church in this passage, that these first believers modeled persistent obedience, meaning it wasn't just a one time they had a good day and obeyed an occasion. They, They pursued in their life a consistent and a persistent obedience. And I say persistent because it's an obedience that, that where you pursue obedience even when it gets hard. And obedience can get hard. It can get hard to do things God's way. It can be hard to be public with your faith. It can be hard to, to, to even when it costs you, to do the, the things that he's asking you to do. Let's see it on display in the text. Verse 17 is where we'll pick up. It continues on. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. And this is sort of no doubt, because remember in, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed one guy in this, this high court. These Jewish religious leaders, they absolutely freaked out when, when Peter and John healed one guy. And now we see all kinds of people getting healed. I mean, so they're, they're losing their mind here in terms of what's going on. It continues on. It says that they arrested the apostles and they put them in, uh, in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. The angel said, go, stand in the temple courts. That word stand literally means hold your ground. Where did they get arrested at? The temple courts. The angel releases them, says, go where? Back to the temple courts. And they says, stand your ground. Don't move. Stand your ground in that place, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Here we have these religious leaders. Notice it says in there, they're filled with jealousy. And then you have the apostles that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And these religious leaders, they throw these guys into jail. But of course, as we just read, a ninja angel comes in, like gets them out of the jail and gives them actually a hard instruction. He says, I want you to go back, you apostles, go back to the very place where you were arrested and do the very thing that got you arrested. This isn't gonna go well. Like this is, you can see how this is going to end up here as they do this. We keep going in verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts and as they had been told and began to teach the people, so they obeyed. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. And so they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing by the doors. 
But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Again, they did exactly what they were asked to do, even though it's going to cost them. Verse 26 at that, the temple, uh, excuse me, the captain went uh, with his officers and brought the apostles. And they did not uh, use force because they feared the people would stone them. And having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed. Let me pause real quick. Literally in the Greek, what that reads or how that reads is, whom you killed with your very hands. This is a strong accusation to the Supreme Court of the land there as he's speaking to them. He says, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince. And actually, I, I need to stop here. If you have your Bible, and I did it on the slide there, underline or just circle something, that word prince. This is one of the most amazing words in the entire New Testament. This word is used four times in the New Testament. And that's it. And what's interesting about this word is every time it's used, it's translated completely different. For example, Acts chapter 3 is translated as author. Hebrews chapter 2 is translated as captain. Hebrews chapter 12 is cap, uh, translated as pioneer. And here we see it's translated as prince. Why in the world would one Greek word, how the language was originally written in, be translated four different ways, never the same? And the answer is this word is so remarkable and so sort of rich and thick with meaning. It's, it's like a diamond that you hold up and it has the facets. And every time you sort of rotate it, you get sort of a new angle, a new, a new glimpse. That's this word right here. And so the context determines sort of how it's translated. But it's been, it's been said that the best way to translate this word just could be the idea that Jesus is our hero. He is champion. I love that picture. And this is what they said. God exalted him uh, at, to his own right hand as the hero, as the champion, because of what he accomplished on the cross, and Savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Peter and the apostles, in that moment, they demonstrated a persistent obedience. They were willing to stand and hold their ground and do what God had commanded them to do, even at great risk to themselves. And we see the result. The death penalty was declared. Even when it was hard, this is what they did. I mean, here's the pattern we see. Tell people about Jesus, get arrested. Released so they could go tell people about Jesus, get arrested again. Stand before the Supreme Court of the land who's telling them you cannot, it is illegal to tell people about Jesus. And so what does Peter do? He tells the court about Jesus. 
Like, he just doesn't stop. Nothing ever stops the guy. He just continues to do the very thing that God is calling him to do and commanding him to do. He never stops. He never backs down, which is interesting, I think, because it's only a few months. If you go in the back, you hit the the timeline in reverse, go back a few months. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times in the same city and while Jesus was staying trial before the same Supreme Court. This same Peter who was cowardly in that moment now is standing there completely courageous, completely sold out for Team Jesus, and all he's doing is over and over saying, I must obey him rather than you, and I'm going to keep telling you about the one who saved my life. He never stops. This persistent obedience, no matter the cost, no matter the challenge, is what we see on display. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing at obeying the Lord, even when it's hard. And whether you're online this morning or or you're here on campus, there's some of us here this morning, maybe many of us, and you're in the hard. You're going through that. You're in that place where it's so tempting to say it would be so much easier if I just kind of did it this way. If I just cut this corner, if I just compromised over here, I know what the Bible says, but fill in the blank. That's the crucible. That's where faith is really stretched. That's where we're really challenged of what do we believe and will we stand firm? Will we hold our ground and do to the best of our ability what this says? How are you doing? with a persistent obedience. Some of, some of us this morning, because you're in that hard place, it's about that recommitment that even in the hard, I'm gonna do it the way he is commanding me to do it. And that's what I'm committed to. Let's go on to our third type, number three. The first believers not only modeled public and persistent obedience, they also modeled painful obedience. And wouldn't it be nice to skip this one? They modeled obedience to God even when it cost them tremendously. Even when it, again, as we're going to see here in a moment, hurt them deeply. Remember, the apostles, they're now facing the death penalty. Let's read what happens next. We're in verse 35. It says, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And a really quick, Gamaliel at the time, he, he was the Yoda of the rabbis. Like you have the rabbis and then he was like the rabbi, the teacher to the teacher. Like he, he was the big dog. He's most known, by the way, for being the teacher for a guy named Saul who later became Paul. This is Gamaliel. And so he stands up and he's going to speak. Then he addressed them, the the, the men in this court. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men, which is to kill them. Some time ago, uh, Thutius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. And he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed. And it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. We know about him from history. He was in A.D. year 6. And it led a band of people in revolt. And he too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. 
Let me read that one real, real quick again. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. That's true for us too, by the way. That's true for us as a church, our families. As we do things that are just not of what God is calling us to do, it's not going to have fruit. It'll fail. He continues on, he says, But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, and you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Now, when I read this passage, I stopped here because this bothered me. Because the Gamaliel's speech was let them go. And you would think the story would be like, well, God's going to deliver them. And it's not, it's, it's going to be okay. I mean, yes, it was hard and it was scary, but, but surely God has the ability, and he does, but he was going to get them out of harm's way and they would just get off with a little hand slap, a little warning. But almost nonchalantly, it just sort of says and have them flogged. And can I remind us of what flogging is? Because this is what they did to Jesus months prior. It's where they would have taken these men, the 11 of them, outside and tied them to a post with their hands. And a soldier would have grabbed a cat of nine tails that had the leather whips and pieces of bone and metal and everything like that that was tied into the, 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 the whip. And they would have been to lash them, which ripped the flesh off the body. It was such a gruesome and painful experience, they would limit it to 39 lashes. Most people died from blood loss before they even got to 39. And this is what happened. This is complete bullying. These religious leaders, no case, no legal standing, just send them out and have the tar beat out of them. The text continues on as we finish up this morning. It says, then they ordered them these men that are bloodied, order them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles, they left the Sanhedrin super mad because of the injustice of what had happened. No. They, they left super frustrated that God allowed them to go through something like that. No, not that either, right? They left rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And it continues on day after day in the temple courts. And from house to house, they never stopped teaching. And they never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Can you imagine, just in your mind's eye, These guys, they are limping, passing out from blood loss, open wounds, making their way to wherever home is, and they're rejoicing. And they get back and they say, bandage me up because I'm going back on the game. I'm going back into the field of battle. I'm going right back into where? The temple mount. Like, that's where the Sanhedrin meets. Like, that's where the religious leaders are headquartered. They go right back to the same spot to be obedient to what God had called them to do. This is a whole other level. But sometimes God calls us to something that is painful. And sometimes God allows us to go through an experience that is painful. 
And man, we'd love to write a different story, but that's not the way this life works. He's faithful. He's good. He walks with you through all the things that you go through, but it hurts still. And when you go through it, how will you respond? And here's the thing is about a question like that is you won't know until you know. Like you won't know till you're in there. Any of us could say in this setting here in an air-conditioned room or wherever you're watching at home or camping or wherever you're vacationing, like, oh yeah, I would do it. Well, we don't know. You don't know till you're in the moment. But here's the thing though, is that God is calling us for these moments to love him and to follow him and to obey him even when it costs us everything. And I don't think this week, I don't think you're going to have anybody that's going to come and persecute you like we just saw in this text. You'll go throughout your week and you'll do what you do. You'll go to work and love your family and everything else that you have on your plate. You won't necessarily experience a text like this today. But what will we do? I'm challenged by what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says. Just look on the screen. Paul says that everyone, not some, not missionaries, pastors, super Christians, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will pay a price. And if you choose to live a public, obedient faith, if you choose to live a persistent obedient faith, what's going to happen is that most people are going to lean into you and into what you say, and they're going to say, can you tell me more? Who is this person that's completely changed everything about your life? Most people will, but you have to understand that some people won't. They won't lean in, they'll push back. And they won't say, tell me more. They'll say, you better talk less. That's just some. But what are we going to do? How will we respond? I want to encourage us this morning that at the end of the day, the goal is to obey. Because when we do, when you do, here's what happens. God is glorified. You begin to change. God begins to work in your life, the Holy Spirit in your life, as you take steps of obedience to say, I trust you in this, even if it's public, hard, persistent, or even painful. As you take that step of obedience, he will honor you, and he will work in you through that process. You know what else happens? A watching world, just like Jerusalem with that first church, gets to see the hope of the world. There's only one. That's Jesus. And they come to a place where they don't see you, they see Jesus in and through you. And then you become a man or woman who God uses to make an eternal impact in the life of someone else. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. And as they're getting ready, can, can I just have a moment of um, Honesty. I think far too many of us, the way we picture living the Christian life is I'm going to go through life and try not to sin too much. Sin management. 
I deal with some things, but not other things. I, I, try to, I try to address these types of things, but these other things are hard, and so I don't. A person who is going to live a life of obedience, the only way they're going to get there is because they are radically in love with God. And out of that love for God grows in them a hatred of sin, not sinners. Sin in them. It, it bothers them. And a person who, who tries to live the, the Christian life and not sin too much is like a soldier going into war who tries not to get hit too many times with bullets. It just doesn't work. So I want to leave you with a quote by a Puritan theologian from many years ago, John Owen, who said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sometimes we don't take sin as seriously as God does. Sometimes we don't take disobedience as seriously as God does. And if we ever kind of wonder, well, what's the big deal? Look at the cross. The cross displays how big a deal sin is. And how big a price had to be paid to deal with our sin issue. So I challenge you with two things this week. First, if there is an area of your life and you know it's an area where it is not, it's not an area of obedience, and you know this, and maybe you've limped along for many, many years trying to manage it, trying to keep it all kind of under control, keeping it so nobody else sort of knows, but you know it's an area of disobedience. Let's deal with it now. Let's make this a week of victory where it says, you know what? No more. No more. Bring it to God and say, would you help me in this area? Bring it to others and get support. Ask for accountability. Ask for prayer support, whatever the case may be. There'll be people up here later you can pray with for that too. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I challenge you to bring that under the Lordship of Christ. And here's number two. Do one thing this week that is public about your faith. One thing. I don't know what that is. I don't know who that's with. I don't know what that looks like. But if you're that person, that there's sort of a fear factor with that, would you do one thing? And maybe the one thing is sitting at the dinner table and talk with your family about what Jesus is teaching you. It's public. It's with your family. Start there. Or maybe it's in the workplace, or maybe it's with a team, or maybe it's with some kind of set, wherever you're at. God, one thing, one moment. He'll give you those divine appointments. He'll give you those opportunities. Take the step. He took a big step for us, didn't he? Would you pray with me? Let's do that, and we'll respond in worship. Father, this morning we thank you for a, a passage like this and an example where these early believers held their ground. They never, they never stopped. They just continued to love you and to do the things you asked them to do. It's simple, but it's hard. And so I pray over my friends this morning, again, whether people are watching online this morning, out of town, traveling, here on campus, that we would do business with you this week and that we would bring areas of our lives that, that are frankly rather rogue and we bring them under your lordship and because we love you and under your Holy Spirit's enabling that we would say it's time to obey because at the end of the day, that's the goal. And so I pray for each person here that they would make that step.
and it would glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Will you please stand and join us as we respond in worship to close our service today?
Thank you for joining us in worship this week. I do uh, just challenge you to consider those, those prompts from Pastor Ryan as you step out in faith and obedience this week. Trust the Lord's leading in your life. Please enjoy a time of fellowship. There's also folks available to pray if you'd like to join them in prayer. Um, you can come right up front here and they'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless. Have a wonderful week.